Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Earlier this year, a group of FBI agents showed up at the house of journalist and women's rights activist Masi Alinjad and told her that she was about to be kidnapped by agents of the Iranian regime. They showed Masi surveillance photos taken by private investigators, high-definition shots of her own home in New York, pictures of her family, pictures of her with her stepchildren, taken over many months. According to an indictment released in July, it was all part of a plot by the Iranian government to kidnap Alinjad and transport her out of the U.S. by boat or by plane, a plot the FBI appeared to have foiled just in time. But the indictment also mentioned something else. It said that other agents of the Iranian regime had targeted people in Canada and in the U.K. with similar kidnapping plots. Our reporter... Sharice Sucharan wanted to find out more. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Caroline Kanzi, Jonathan Collin, Aaron Estabrooks, Jeremy Crow, Diana Cattarello, Damien Stepnik, John Sagel, and Vicky. Hi, I'm Vicki from Ottawa, Ontario. I'm a registered nurse and I support Canada Land because it's one of the best research yet easy to understand podcasts out there. In my opinion, it's the only one that is consistently interesting and engaging. Also, as I prepare for a three-year posting in Washington, D.C., I know I'll continue to have my finger on the pulse of Canadian media thanks to Jesse and company. Keep up the great work, Canada Land. Journalist and activist Masi Alinejad has never been quiet about her dislike for the current Iranian regime. As a journalist in Iran, she came under fire for her critical coverage of Iranian parliament and elections, and because of this, was eventually fired from her job as a parliamentary reporter in the early 2000s. After that, she started a Facebook page called My Stealthy Freedom, which invited Iranian women to post pictures of themselves without the compulsory head covering. It garnered over 1 million likes and earned her the Geneva Summit for Human Rights and Democracy's Women's Rights Award. Here's her speaking at Stanford University about the movement. For 40 years, we never had a chance, never, to talk about compulsory hijab. And I remember when I left Iran and I found my window when I started my own campaign, my selfie freedom, Azadiya Yaboshaki, I used to get a lot of criticism. If you are a woman in Iran, you know the word Yawashaki, you know the word selfie, because our freedom was stolen from us. We were not allowed to sing, we were not allowed to dance, we were not allowed to show our hair, we were not allowed to have mixed party. But we used to do it in secret, which doesn't scare the government of Iran. The only thing that can scare the government is when you talk about it loud. Now living in the U.S., she's a host of Tablet and Voice of America, a TV show which profiles Iranians and developments within the country. But living in the U.S. doesn't mean she's no longer threatened by the Iranian government. In 2019, the head of Tehran's revolutionary court told news reporters that Iranians sharing videos with Aliyajad could be imprisoned for up to a decade. They've also targeted her family. 
According to news reports, her parents are frequently harassed and threatened. In 2019, the regime also arrested and imprisoned her brother, Eli Reza, who was then sentenced to eight years in prison, a decision which Amnesty International has condemned. All of this was, of course, awful for Masi. It seemed that even in her absence, the regime was harming her for her criticism every way that it could. But one thing that they couldn't do while she was living in the U.S. was harm her physically. Or so she thought. When FBI agents showed up at her door late last year to tell her that she had been spied on and was about to be kidnapped, she was shocked. Months later, an indictment charging four Iranian agents with conspiracy to commit kidnapping revealed much, much more. Those four men remain at large. The U.S. Attorney's Office did not identify the victim and has declined to comment to CNN on the case. But my next guest says she was the target of this alleged kidnapping plot. And she joins me now, Iranian journalist and activist Massey Alinejad. How did you find out about this plot? First of all, I have to say that the details were shocking that I just learned out about them last night. But the FBI came to my house like eight months ago and they were telling me that this house is not safe for you. And I was like, you must be kidding me because I receive daily death threats. What's new? Mm -hmm. I'm here in America. They cannot do anything. And then when they showed me the photos of my private life with my husband, my stepchildren, my beautiful garden in Brooklyn, I was like, wow. So the government are that close to me. And then I took it serious. So they sent me to the safe house and I'm being under FBI protection. So just to be clear, the Iranians somehow were casing you, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, I still cannot believe it that in New York, the Islamic Republic was allowed actually to threat and following an American Iranian citizen here in the land of the United States of America. And I was shocked because, uh, you know, we've been heard that so many times that people like Iranian dissidents being targeted by the Iranian officials in Europe. But never, and actually FBI told me this is the first time in the history they actually chased and followed an Iranian citizen in, in the United States of America. So how did they get the pictures of you? Who did they use to get the pictures of you? Do you have any idea? Yeah, they hired someone, an American investigator. They gave money to him and the guy didn't know anything. So actually when I saw the picture of myself, I got goosebumps because I was watering my son flowers they took pictures of my stepchildren. I don't want to scare them if they're looking at me, but they did. I was shocked that they were following me, filming me. All the, they were actually following my friends and taking all the photos and videos to see which way I go every day. I'm not as scared of being dead or being executed, but what scares me that the whole world keeps silent about such a regime and allowing them to have such an oppression in the United States of America. That is more scary. The U.S. Department of Justice's indictment of the alleged kidnappers, four agents working in the U.S. for the Iranian regime, reads like a Bond movie script. It details a network of Iranian agents working in the U.S. to procure private investigators to produce round-the-clock, high-definition photos and videos of Alina Jada and her family in Brooklyn, their visitors, and even records of objects and mail around the house. The documents also show Iranian agents plotting to transport Alina Jad out of the U.S. into a third country before rendition to Iran. Evidence shows that they were looking into using speedboats out of New York City 
maritime routes to Venezuela, as well as direct routes to Tehran from her house. But there's another thing in those documents. Other victims were being targeted, specifically three in Canada, who were and are being surveilled and plotted against by the regime. It's not clear who these people are or why they're being targeted or what Canadian authorities are doing about it. I reached out to Global Affairs Canada to find out. In an email statement, John Babcock, spokesperson for Global Affairs Canada, said that, and I quote, Canada firmly condemns Iran for its pattern of intimidation and foreign interference. Any violence and intimidation against journalists is completely unacceptable and must be condemned. The presence of foreign agents sent to threaten the safety of Canadians seeking refuge might be shocking, but it actually isn't new. According to the Coalition for Women in Journalism, many journalists and activists from Iran, Pakistan, China, Mexico, and more have experienced threats from what they believe to be foreign agents while living in Canada. The Iranian regime has a history of tracking down dissidents in other countries. In the past couple of years alone, the regime kidnapped and murdered journalist Ruhol Azam from his residence in France. Iranian dissident journalist Ruhol Azam was executed on Saturday. Azam was convicted of fomenting violence during anti-government protests in 2017. His Ahmad News social media feed had more than one million followers. He was given asylum in France after fleeing Iran. Iran's Revolutionary Guards Corps said in 2019 that it had captured Azam in an operation, but did not say where it took place. Iran said on Tuesday that its Supreme Court had upheld the death sentence. France and human rights groups had condemned the decision. They also took and detained journalist Jamshid Sharmad from Dubai and activist Habib Shab from Sweden. This is the plot involving an Iranian dissident and the female spy who lured him to Istanbul. The network of men who schemed to trap him and the late-night meeting where he was kidnapped and smuggled to Iran. Habib Chab, who has Swedish citizenship, now faces public execution. Turkish investigators claim they uncovered an elaborate abduction plan carried out on their soil by Iranian intelligence. CTV News has also reported extensively on Chinese interference in the lives of Hong Kongers living in Canada, who report stalking, intimidation, when even getting death threats to a hotel room in Vancouver where she was staying under a fake name. These Hong Kongers say they don't feel protected by the RCMP or by local police. I flew to Vancouver to host a series of events as well as to host the launching of Alliance Canada Hong Kong. We realized that... um, going to Vancouver could be a risk for me. So my teammate on the ground there had booked my hotel room under their name to uh, add a layer of security for me. And two days after the launch, at like very early in the morning, I received a phone call on my hotel landline to say, uh, we know you're there. This is your room number. We're coming to get you. The very idea that foreign agents can operate with impunity on Canadian soil for months and even years, it threatens the core identity of Canada as a safe country and a refuge for people fleeing dangerous regimes. How has this been possible, and how has it continued for so long? And what is the Canadian government going to do about it? Unfortunately, Masi Alinejad was unable to come onto the show. But I spoke to Kira Nazish, founding director of the Coalition for Women in Journalism, to find out about how extensive this problem is and what Canada should be doing about it. 
The coalition has been trying to find out who these Canadians are and how they can be supported. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. So just getting into it, we know she was targeted as a result of this indictment. Why do you think they targeted her specifically? First of all, when you are Iranian journalist, we know that it is very difficult for you to leave the country. And if you end up being like one of the very few minorities of those journalists or human rights defenders who end up living abroad, your family is back home. So there are very, very few voices coming about Iran that are out of Iran that would expose what the government is doing at a state level, as well as in terms of gender equality. If you follow her timeline at any given time of the year, you would find some sort of expose that you will not find, we don't have access to in the mainstream media, and also in the local Iranian media, because the media is censored. And so what would have happened if the plot to kidnap Masi was successful? What would have happened to her? There is no doubt that if she would have been kidnapped, she would have certainly been taken back to Iran and put into a prison, possibly tortured. I must mention that Iran is one of the top countries that we document where women journalists are in prison. And we know that their lawyers are threatened as well by the state. But we know that several women journalists have been tortured inside of Iranian prisons. Their families are harassed as well. And harassment is like, if you're lucky, there are other kinds of tactics that the state uses to stifle 
journalists and their family. So if Masi would have been kidnapped, she would have definitely ended up in the prison. And we very much think that it is possible she may be tortured or worse. So I want to talk a bit more about what's in this indictment. All of this stuff, it's frankly terrifying. Can you tell me what you know about how this plot worked? For example, videos, recording, taking photos, following outside of her home, and then also following her household members, right? And that is very shocking. And I do want to mention that once again, I would say we know this because of the indictment. I have examples of at least three of them. One is Egyptian, the other is Saudi Arabian, and the third is Pakistani. These journalists have told me that they feel somebody's following them to their homes, tracking them while they're, you know, going back and forth in the subway. There are journalists who have said that they feel somebody's taking their photos. And these journalists do feel very insecure. And they also, actually one of them, I can name her, she is in Canada. Her name is Arzu Yildiz, and she's an exile from Turkey. So this indictment, and there's another one in the UK where recently the UK Met Police has arrested a man for conspiring for the murder of a Pakistani journalist, Ahmed Guraya. Um, so these kind of reports that come out of the court are helpful because they shed light and sort of solidify our suspicion that some of these exiled journalists are being followed by the countries. And that means that we need to know more than just when we hear from the indictments, right? We need to know before what kind of insecurities exiled journalists and human rights defenders are facing in the U.S. and in Canada when they are in exile. So you're saying that it's not just this one case, it's many different cases that are happening right now. Yes, we have internally documented 12 women journalists in the last uh, three weeks. And this we documented it because we, you know, sort of knew about it. And then Masi's case sort of like really kind of shocked us. And we were like, OK, well, let's let's find out how many people are really facing this. And we just started like reconnecting with the journalists who had told us that they felt unsafe. There are a few in the U.S. and there are four of them who are in Canada. So have these types of threats ever reached the level of the government taking legal action? Or is this case the only one right now? So this is a very good point, right? Like I have my own assessment about this as well. I think that because Iran is important and the FBI really wanted to go after. So if, you know, like I would tell you from the perspective of Iranian or Saudi journalists who also fear being targeted by their states in the U.S., they would tell you that, you know, they feel actually quite safe because they know that the United States would want to protect them. But, you know, if there are some from countries like Egypt and Pakistan as well, where they don't feel very safe. And one anecdote I can give you actually from Canada is in December 2020 in Toronto, a leading Pakistani activist Karima Baloch was suspiciously found dead. As a longtime critic of Pakistan, 37-year-old Karima Baloch devoted her life to speaking for the people of Baluchistan. She was reported missing on Sunday Loved ones say police told them she was found drowned on Monday. You can never stop us from our quest for justice. The Pakistani High Commission in Canada says it has approached the Canadian government to know the cause of Baloch's death. But those who knew her feel she wouldn't have harmed herself. 
She is uh, one of the historic leaders in Balochistan who sort of started a movement and got a lot of women involved in the movement. And then eventually, after getting several state threats from the Pakistani intelligence agencies, after having her uncle and her relatives beaten, tortured, kidnapped, and some of them killed, she eventually sneaked out of Pakistan and eventually sought asylum in Canada. And while Karima was here, Canadian authorities constantly got pressure from Pakistani government officials and the embassy, Pakistani embassy in Canada to not give her the asylum. And in the meanwhile, her family back home was being threatened and eventually her uncle was killed. She was threatened that her uncle was killed if she doesn't come back to Pakistan. And then eventually he was killed. Anyways, Karima got asylum in Canada. And since that time, she had been getting threats constantly. And that followed a series of other suspicious incidents reported by other activists, Baloch activists, in which these activists said that they were being targeted by the Pakistani authorities. One of them, Latif Johar Baloch, who also came with Karima to Canada in exile, he had told me, he and his and Karima's brother, in fact, they said that they were seeing suspicious men standing outside their house taking photos. I personally have seen some of those threats on her phone. I had met her several times right before she was found dead in the water. So I think that case is very uh, suspicious because when she was found dead... In Toronto, the Toronto police said that this was a common cause. And when we tried approaching them several times and we tried speaking to them and all they would ever say was that this is a common cause, while the family kept on saying this is not a common cause, you know, we think that she was killed by the Pakistani state. So I wanted to talk about the indictment and how it mentions similar kidnapping plots from the Iranian regime happening in Canada and the U.S. Have you been able to find out anything specific about the Canadians that they were trying to kidnap? So we tried to find this out. We've been really after this information. Uh, why? Because we know that there's an indictment and now we can refer to this indictment, not only anecdotes by what journalists tell us, but refer to the indictment, which is very helpful for us to investigate and say, get in touch with government officials, both in Canada and the U.S., to find out what they know and what they can tell us. And in Canada, we've spoken to three government officials and one former intelligence official. And, you know, we heard a lot of responses, but all I can say is, like, they all revolve around two things. One, uh, they would say, we don't know. And B, the typical response we've been getting is, these things are hard to reveal in public because it's intelligence. You know, if it's if it's a matter of an intelligence agency has to handle, then they don't want to reveal this, for, uh, you know. I don't understand why that kind of response is, is okay. You know, I think that the media should also ask some questions and ask, um, you know, governments and government officials to reveal more about these things because this is really frustrating. So we want to hear back from government officials or the security agencies if we are getting in touch with them. So some journalists, as I was telling you, in Canada, four journalists don't feel safe and they have approached um, different agencies, including the police, and they say they're not happy with the response they get from these authorities. And I think that is the question we need to ask. What is Canada doing to protect journalists and activists in exile? This is especially an important question to ask when just recently, this month, I think in July, um, the immigration ministry, IRCC, has announced launching a new stream to open doors to 250 human rights defenders. From authoritarian regimes to organized crime, the threats have never been more severe. Today, 
We're announcing that Canada is creating a dedicated refugee stream to provide a safe haven for human rights defenders who have fled persecution in their home country. Through this initiative, we expect to resettle 250 government-assisted refugees per year, including their family members, and to provide them with the support they need to make Canada their new home. These human rights defenders are escaping from their country in difficult conditions and they'll, they are likely to be targeted. So does Canada have a plan to protect them? We are saying that we need to know what they are doing to protect these uh, journalists in, in exile and human rights defenders in exile. Why? Also because the countries that are targeting these journalists and human rights defenders need to know that Canada has a protection mechanism and it is not going to let something like a state to target in the inside of Canada. Are Canada and the U.S. prepared to take action against these threats? I'm a former war correspondent and I used to... I've looked at security agencies a lot because of the work and I will tell you that... Usually, the FBI or any security agency, intelligence agency in any country, keeps an eye on everything that happens in the country. That's their job. They have all the resources to do that. We know that the FBI has all the resources, and we know that FBI is really good at surveillance. We also know that Canada and the U.S. cooperate on intelligence. Any kind of intelligence that has to do with Canada or the U.S., they communicate with each other. The question is... On what occasions do they take action and on what occasions do they not prioritize these things, right? And when it comes to human rights defenders and journalists in exile living in both of these countries, then we essentially are left with knowing what we know uh, from the policies of these governments at a given time about what whether they will take action or not. Does the U.S. Um, you know always uh, is going to always crack down on these cases, or they would let one slide? And then what is their policy? Who who takes the priority of being protected in the United States? So you mentioned that Canada is going to be welcoming a lot more human rights defenders in the coming year. So what does the protection mechanism for them look like? And what could Canada put in place to help them? What they should be doing, and I think more publicly, is to have a system where they are in constant communication with the intelligence agency, both in the U.S. and Canada. Why U.S. and Canada is because these two countries share intelligence um, and to make sure that they are being vigilant. And B, I think once they bring in a human rights defender through the stream, they need to make sure that they can get back to them if they hear a complaint. Why is this so important for Canada to be a little bit more transparent in its idea about protecting these exiles, right? It is important for Canada to be transparent, not only, you know, for those who feel unsafe in Canada, not only those exiles who live in here and feel they might be targeted by the state, not only that, but they also need to be transparent, you know, as a policy so that the countries that are planning to target, we know that Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, these are the top countries apart from Iran who do want to have intentions of targeting their journalists and human rights defenders in countries like Canada. So we know that. And so Canada needs to publicly say that we will protect those journalists and human rights defenders who live in Canada in exile. There are some people trying to push the Canadian government to take action on this. In November 2020, MP Garnet Genouille introduced a parliamentary motion 
calling on the government to address significant and sustained foreign interference activities and to introduce new protections to support the targets. There was a press conference where victims of harassment and intimidation from what they believed to be foreign actors in Iran, China, and Russia came forward about their experiences. My name is Jawad Soleimani from Edmonton. I'm a student at the University of Alberta. I lost my wife, Alnaz Nabi, in the downing of flight PS75 to buy Iranian regime missiles. I never forget how Alnaz always told me that Canada is the best place for us to live, that Canada is a safe place for everyone. Honestly, now I doubt that due to what I have personally experienced over the past 10 months. After burying my wife, I came back to Canada and started to speak openly about different aspects of the downing of flight PS75. On March 5th, Hassan Rezaifar, the head of Iran's Aircraft Accident Investigation Bureau, contacted me on Instagram audio call to talk about flight PS75. He clearly threatened me to remove my Instagram post in which I had criticized the Iranian regime. When I refused to do so, Iran's intelligence service called my family. In April, a well-known judge in Iran told one of the victim families that they know about the association established in Canada by families of victims and that it is easy for them to make us silent and to suppress us even in Canada. They said that their complaints were never adequately addressed by law enforcement agencies. Since then, there's been very little movement from the Canadian government on putting those protections in place. And very little information has ever been released about how those foreign agents continue to operate in Canada, threatening the safety of the people who live here. That's your Canada land. Listen, uh, if you like the show, there might be a lot of people out there who you know who don't even know that it exists. Go tell them about it. I, I've tried like a few different things. This is the only thing that's ever really expanded our audience is just like the smart people who listen to this show spreading the word about it. And it's a shame that there are people out there who might like this and don't know that it exists. Please let them know. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I'll read everything you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadaland.com. This episode is reported by Sharice Sucharan and produced by Tristan Capicione. Our theme music is by So Cold. By the way, Canada Land's on the radio all across Canada. We give it away for free to community and campus radio stations, and that is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show, tell a friend. <laughs>